ಚಿತ್ತದೀನ ಮಲಂ ಶರೀರ ಪ್ರವರ ಮುನೀನಾಂಜಲಿ ಪ್ರಾಂಜಲಿರಾನಸ್ಮಿ so there was an interruption because of the power outage we couldn't have class for the last two weeks uh, so just as you may remember we were studying the third chapter the vibhuti pada of patanjali yoga sutra which deals with the various supernatural powers that develops on the path of your spiritual journey when you are progressing to the ultimate illumination it's not to inspire you to develop those supernatural powers that the chapter is intended it's actually just to say that as a side effect those supernatural powers may develop but we shouldn't get side tracked taking them to be the ultimate goal rather they had to be taken as the milestones that we are progressing they are the milestone but they are not the goal once we get lured by them our spiritual journey will stop there itself not only that all the supernatural powers ultimately will lead to the degeneration of whatever spiritual progress we had a little desire in the spiritual journey can be quite disastrous as in the viveka churamani shankaracharya gives a very nice example what's the example that suppose you are having a ball in your hand a globe in your hand and you are very cautiously getting up the steps just you want to climb the steps to reach the upper floor and you are climbing the steps you are having a globe in your hand and suddenly you trip in one of the step almost you have reached the terrace and you trip and the globe or the ball falls from your hand shankaracharya and vivek churamani say very nicely the globe is not going to stay there in that step it will simply go back from where you started your journey so all these spiritual powers are like they're stripping over if you are not cautious so all yeah all the things which you gain may again just take you back from where you started so that's why it's actually more of a warning more of uh, a just is way to make us aware that all those supernatural powers will develop even if you don't try they may come as siddhis but we should be aware they shouldn't lure us we shouldn't forget that what our ultimate goal is so now we will proceed with the sutras the 31st sutra where we ended uh, of the third chapter with which we will start what is that 
that the concentration on kurma nadya kurma nadya sthairyam what is kurma nadya it is below the trachea the on the this bronchial tubes it is just below the trachea they are on the bronchial tubes they are the bronchial tubes you can feel it when to how can you feel this kurma nadi whenever you are not breathing you just suspend your breath immediately you will have a sensation somewhere in your throat that's the kurma nadi just you stop the breath immediately you will find a sensation in the bronchial tube and that is the location of kurmanari so here they are saying that if you concentrate on that you develop a wonderful calmness it can be used as a step for meditation how that in meditation we find that calmness stillness of the body is very important why it is very important the stillness of the body just as we told the body and the mind are very much interrelated it's very much interrelated just like the way you keep water in a pot if you move the pot the water also moves similarly know it for certain the body and the mind are geared that way you will find that when your mind is restless it is almost impossible to sit at a place calmly somehow you will find you have to move around you cannot sit calmly when your mind is restless and the opposite is also true if your mind is restless the gross way of course the subtle way is meditation but the gross way to bring the mind to calmness to certain extent is to sit quietly with your spine straight relaxed not stiff relaxed and you should be aware of the fact your body shouldn't be moving you will find that many of us have this habit even when we are sitting we have the habit of moving our legs know it for certain those habits have to be got rid of if you really want concentration when you have resolved from meditation it has to be as much as possible motionless if you have already developed the power of concentration you will find one thing that when your mind is very much concentrated and suddenly for some reason you move any of your body part a little suddenly you will feel that your mind has as if had a just a great jump downwards it comes down it cannot stay in that very uh, concentrated state of meditation so the calmness is something very important in meditation and that's why this this the way they have been spoken of this to concentrate on the bronchial tube we need not have to do it consciously even when we are breathing when there is a suspension you will find that that you feel that where the bronchial tube is here is there and when you concentrate on that you develop calmness to give an example that how the bronchial tube is related with the uh, what is the stillness of the body if you have seen any venomous snake like cobra when it raises its hood you will find a wonderful thing there is no motion it appears to be just like statue what happens is actually when the moment when it stretches its neck the bronchial tube that gets stretched and its total focus is actually on there and that helps him to develop that calmness there is no movement 
So one thing we should understand when we are studying this chapter, that all the supernatural powers which has been spoken of is actually not something supernatural. There's a science behind it. That we have mentioned previously that our mind is not a single mind. There, is, there are innumerable mental modules with fixed stimuli response conditioning. To give an example, you will find that when you are in office, you have a particular mode of behavior. Automatically it changes. The same person, when he comes back at home, he's with his family, his behavior is totally different. The one, again, when he's his friends, when he has gone to some party or he has gone for some sports or games, we will find that we change as per the circumstances. Why it happens? As per the circumstances, a particular module gets activated. And once it gets activated, it has its own fixed stimuli response conditioning. And you are bound to act as per that. The mind is constantly fooling us. How? That particular module makes us behave in a particular way, but it gives us a feeling it is I who am deciding to behave in that way. But it never so. The entire world of advertisement is based on that. The moment you open the TV, any advertisement you're seeing, they're actually trying to activate a particular type of module so that you buy the product. It has nothing to do, most probably with the product itself. Just a very gross example we give, just whenever you find the latest model car advertisement, that it has nothing to do with a model, means a so-called a female standing in front of, it has nothing to do, but invariably it will be there. Why? It is actually, the advertisement is meant to activate some particular module and that drags your attention. And that's how they are tempting you to buy. So just why we are saying this, that there are innumerable mental modules. And when we get conditioned that when I'm born as a human being, I'm conditioned that I'm a human being, there are so many modules which were active in some other birth, but which are not appropriate for the human birth. They all remain hidden. Why? Constantly my asmita is linked with that ahanka. I am a human being. And that fixes what type of modules with you will be dealing with. To give an example, in internet, you can download anything and everything. But suppose you are a medical student. Now what you are going to download gets limited, gets filtered. Because I am a medical student, the things of my interest is that which deals with the medical science. And I am just downloading that. But I can download anything. So what is happening? I am downloading as per my bias. And that bias is decided by the circumstance that I'm a medical student. Similarly, the moment I'm born as a human being, there are innumerable mental modules. I will be downloading from the Mahat, from the cosmic mind, only those modules which are appropriate for my human birth, not only human birth, the situation in which I am born, the circumstance, all the vasanas, all the desires which has resulted in this birth, and all the modules appropriate to that, only they get activated. Now, if I can somehow, through my yogic endeavor, remove that filtering factor, this is known as asmita and ahankar. Asmita is the pure amnes. That when I 
can never i can never get get rid of the idea of i am but in our life that i am is always linked with something that i am i my family my friends my delicacies that the thing which i like my house this all this your amness is getting linked the moment it gets linked it becomes ahankara but the pure asmita amness is something which can be practiced through spiritual practices that's the thing we are doing that the mindfulness what that i have to be always established in amness when you're doing that when the more and more you are getting rid of the ahankara all the biases are falling off the filtering factors are going off now though you are a human being you can download any of those mental modules and they appear as supernatural powers in the human being know it for certain you will find that characteristic in some other animal it must be there which is not common in human being as because of my amness is now not biased with only fixed modules it can download anything and immediately you will find actually the body is the projection of the mind immediately you will find so many other characteristics traits are finding expression through your uh, personality so in spiritual life what is happening that this is a common thing whatever way we may practice spirituality the thing which happens is the detachment grows your attachment to the immediate uh, so called sensual pursuits of life they start falling off and you get more and more established in that pure amness and naturally what is happening now all those filtering factor which from which you are downloading from that mahat from that cosmic mind that's has been removed so you can you are downloading anything and everything and that way you develop those characteristics which is not common in human being but you will find it is there in some other creatures that is finding expression through your life and that's the thing you will find is being expressed in all these sutras so that the thing which we see in the snake you will see the snakes have that capacity not only snake to be absolutely still and whenever anyone is maintaining absolute stillness it has something to do with the kurmanari where the breath has almost been suspended and when the moment the breath gets suspended you become aware of that kurmanari the more the focus on the kurmanari the more your body becomes still so that's the thing which has been spoken of in the 31st sutra the 32nd sutra speaks of some vision happens when murdha jyotishi siddha darshanam by practicing samyama on the coronal light on the back of your head you will find that whenever uh, we draw the picture of illumined soul there is a glow a halo behind their head so this this coronal light is something which has to do with that halo so the one you can concentrate on that you can have the visions of the siddhas it's not the one who has illumined the one who is bit higher than us most probably those who were practicing very sincerely spiritual spirituality in this life but somehow they couldn't become perfect so even after death they continue with their sadhana in the subtle body they are the siddhas these siddhas become visible when you you can meditate on the murdha jyotishi it's very interesting that the center of perception of life light 
is in the hindbrain. Again, very interesting. If you have observed, sometimes it is told that the dogs ha have some paranormal vision. You will find they're sitting, looking at something intently and you feel what it is looking at. They most and there are many such incidences you will find it happened that when someone has passed away in your home, after that, the dog sometimes is behaving as if it is seeing something. We see nothing. So there is that our vision is limited as a human being to certain modules. There are certain modules which when gets activated, most probably it opens up the vista of vision to some other uh, level of existence. If we give too much importance to that, I can just go on bragging that I have visions or spiritual journey stops. But if I take it as a milestone, what's the milestone? Yes, this, this type of visions, which I have heard is possible. And that gives me the conviction that afterlife is there. It is now for me just a mere belief. The scriptures say that after death, I am, I am not annihilated. The soul remains. It is for me as mere belief. There is for that no realization. I can take it positively in this way. The moment this vision comes, I see that yes, there are certain plans in which we still exist. And that gives the conviction. So in what way you are taking? If you are taking it just for your conviction, it is helping you in your spiritual journey. If you're taking it as a thing of, as an achievement to just brag and to just uh, delude other peoples by saying that you have been spiritually perfected, that actually will at last entail in downfall. So use, we, have, we can use all those things as an awareness, as a milestone to still progress farther. So Murtha Jyotishi, Siddha Darshanam. The next is very important, Pratibha. It is the intuition. It's a technical term, Pratibha. Pratibha, Pratibhat, Va Sarvam, the 33rd Sutra speaks of. What is Prativa? Prativat Va Sarvam. The knowledge known as Prativa, when that dawns in you, that intuitive knowledge dawns in you, you can know anything and everything. What it is actually speaking of? Prativat Va Sarvam. We find that all the spiritually illumined souls are highly intuitive. They can as if foretell the future how it happens, why it happens. Is it something supernatural? No, there's a science behind it. Again, in our spiritual journey, as we were mentioning, that when through our meditation, what is happening? That when gradually we can detach our mind from all the things with which we are attached. At present, my identity is with all my projections. When you can detach your amnes from all those projections by going into Savikalpa Samadhi. That pure amnes, pure asmita, in that you are established. In this chapter itself, the 54th Sutra will speak something that how Pratibha develops, Pratibha, this intuitive power. It is called Taraka Jnana. What is the Taraka? Taraka, the 54th Sutra will speak of Taraka Sarva Vishayam, Sarvatha Vishayam, that when you develop discriminative power, what happens? Your knowledge is no more sequential. At present, 
my knowledge is sequential. Just like when I'm reading a book, I have to read page after page. Knowledge is sequential. And then when I've read the entire book, just by seeing the title of the book, somewhere the book is lying, just by seeing the title of the book, immediately what's the content of the book flashes at a time. So that's the tarakam, that's the, that's the knowledge, the saving knowledge. It saves, how it saves that we will gradually describe, that prathiba, how it happens. When your mind is becoming detached from all the immediate concerns, from all the biases, by your meditation, by your mindfulness, it is just getting detached more and more. It can happen through devotion, it can happen through discrimination, that the mind, after all, has to get detached. In devotion, you are devoted to something sublime, which naturally, spontaneously detaches it from all the lower things. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the moment you get the test of something, you get the test of, say, so the moment you get the test of uh, candy syrup, the molasses you won't like anymore. The higher the test, the lower thing falls off. That's how in devotion, the detachment happens. And of course, by mindfulness in jnana, the detachment happens. The detachment is the be all and end all of spiritual advancement. I, that, there's a sign, there's the only sign that I am developing more and more attachment for something sublime and detachment is naturally following. The more I go eastwards, the west automatically falls behind in the words of Sri Ramakrishna. So when you get detached, you get established in amnes. These words are very important. Asmita is pure amnes. Amnes not linked with anything. And ahankara is that asmita linked with all the so-called projections. So in spiritual journey, what is happening? Your ahankara is getting cleansed off. You are getting more and more established in asmita. When it happens, what happens? Your immediate concerns, biases are all falling off. They are all falling off. You are getting established more and more established in pure amnes. And that enables you, your mind to have a greater encompassment. You can understand. Just think of the housewife. Early in the morning, she also most probably has to go for work. But before going for work, she has to prepare the food for the entire household. The student, the child has to go to the school for him. She is preparing the food for husband, preparing the child for going to the school. She's so busy with the immediate concerns. Her mind is focused to that present moment. The same lady when she's a bit relaxed. Now her mind is bound to go to the past, is bound to anticipate the future. It starts encompassing. The same thing happens with the realized soul. The, I won't say realized soul, the more, the more he's getting illumined, evolved in spirituality, the mind's encompassment increases because, because his mind is now free from all the immediate concerns and biases. And what happens? You will read in the life of Buddha, before entering illumination, all the past lives started getting illuminated. He, the Jati Smaratva, that happened. All the fast lives became illumined. So here also the same thing, your mind encompasses. 
if even in TV and uh, the present uh, YouTube, anywhere you go, you just see the regression to the past. I I don't know how genuine they are, but any of the regression to the past, the only procedure is the one who is trying to regress you to your past is relaxing you, is hypnotizing you so that you become totally relaxed. You get free from all the present moment concerns and that automatically takes you to the regression of the past. So when you, spirit, when you are spiritually progressing, all your concerns are falling off, biases are falling off. It starts relating to the past. Now what happens? Immediately, all the past becomes a book for you. Each and every life was a page. One after other, it opens up. And now you have the knowledge of the entire book. So now you become highly intuitive. When you see anything in the present life, because of your past experience, you can as if say the future, these actions is going to enter in such and such thing. Even in our day-to-day life, it happens. When a young child is growing up, when a child is growing up, you will find a wonderful thing. What is happening? When the child is growing up, suppose he has reached the state of puberty, is a teenager, seeing certain ways of life the parent wants. So this will entail in such and such danger. From where she's saying or he's saying, the parent is saying, she has already gone through that. It's not that he or she is just cursing. She knows, he knows that I have gone through this. Such tendencies can result in such destiny. It can just change the course of the destiny. And that's what for him, for me, it is sequential. For the, the, the teenager child has to go through the experiences, each and every page to learn it. But for him, for the parent, it is a book. They know that, that, that what the content is, they can immediately foretell. And that speaks of Pratibha, the intuitive knowledge. It is not something supernatural. As they relate to the past, they have seen that history repeats itself, the same thing, the same tendencies resulting in same destiny, they can just see it. And that's what is known as the Pratibha. And by that, they can as if know everything. They can see the consequences that are going to happen. In the life of Swami Vivekananda, some interesting uh, incidences are there. When he was going around the Europe, he was going around Europe, the Western disciples, of course, they were proud of their own civilization. They were pointing out the marvelous buildings, the marvelous landmarks of the Western civilization. Swami Vivekananda was just seeing and and then suddenly he commented that you are bragging so much of your civilization. But what I see, you know, your entire civilization is sitting on a volcano to erupt anytime. They never understood what Swamiji is speaking. Again and again, Swamiji repeated this line. The entire Europe is sitting on volcano. After Swamiji passed away in 1902, and we find that in the next decades, just next decade, the first world war, in another two decades, second world war, entire Europe was devastated. Why he was saying that? That entire Western civilization was based on colonialism. And that already started, competition has already started. Swamiji saw when he was going around Europe, he saw that all the European countries are competing for colonies. 
this greed for colonies to rule over others, to exploit others, that is giving this apparent affluence. But at the same time, it is creating that inner tension within. All the nations will come to a huge war, fight, destruction. He could see that. Not only that, when Swami Vivekananda returned to India, in 1898, he's saying that India is going to get independence in another 50 years. Very interesting. I was in Midnapur. In Midnapur town school, there were a lot of revolutionaries. So they have their, what you say, diary, still maintained the diary. So there, these revolutionaries are saying from Midnapur, they used to go to Calcutta. Why, you know, Swami Vivekananda one day had quarrel with one of his classmates uh, in college, college mates. After returning from the West, he, he just mean to, uh, went to meet one of his college friends and they had a discussion and Swamiji told that India is going to get independence in another 50 years and that also in some very un, uh, what you say, predictable way, in some way which is not very uh, normal way, in some peculiar way the India will get freedom. It's not just by fight or by what is a freedom movement, nothing as such. It will come in some inevitable, in some unpredictable way. And the friend challenged him. How can you say British is such a powerful government in another 50 years, it's never going to happen. And Swamiji with a piece of charcoal wrote on the wall. That's just, I'm writing just what I say. I mean it. I'm convinced about it that India is going to get independence in another 50 years. He wrote it and it was there for years together. And that was an inspiration for all those revolutionaries from throughout Bengal, hidingly they used to come to that place just to see that right writing of Swami Vivekananda that inspired them. That Swamiji has told it is going to happen. But the way it happened was really unpredictable. They never thought how? It's after the Second World War. It is not the freedom movement. We should all be very much aware of it. It's not only India. All the Asian countries got independence almost at the same time. We may try to say that it is because of the freedom movement. Nothing doing. All the countries got. How it got? After the Second World War, it was decided that no more colonies. It is the thing which has creating all this turmoil, tension. So it was decided that in the this UN treaty that these colonies we have to get rid of. And gradually they started getting rid of the colony and that's how we find all the Asian countries one by one getting independence, not only India. So it came just in 50 years, in 1998 he's saying. Just see how he's just seeing the future. It may appear to be supernatural, but what's happening that as he has that vast encompassment of his mind, he can see the, as if the past, how the things are happening, how it is going to just unfold. There's all this fight for colonies. It is not going to give any affluence to the world, permanent solution. It has to fall off. And with that, the independence will come. And that's the thing which is as if seeing. So this is what called Pratibha. What's that? Your mind. It's not that. So you develop some supernatural power. It's just your power to see the book as a whole. It's no more sequential knowledge. I don't have to go through those experiences. The entire nation had to wait for another 50 years to really understand that, that independence is really going to happen. In 1998, no one thought of it. 
that time the Congress party was just thinking of getting some favors from the British government. That was their only goal. They were not even thinking of independence. And that's the time Swamiji is saying independence is something which I see in other 50 years. So this is the thing, just giving the examples to understand that what it has been spoken of. That Sarva Vishayam Sarvata Vishayam Akramam. There is no sequence. Kramam in sequence, Akramam. The knowledge as, as such in a flash comes. You don't have to go through those experiences. Just seeing the ways of life, you can just predict what is going to happen. So that's the Pratibha. That how the Pratibha happens will be spoken of in the 35th Sutra as we proceed. Now let's go to the 34th Sutra. It's what's speaking. Ridae Chitta Samvit. If you have to know, have the knowledge of your mind, you have to concentrate on your chitta, on your heart. Very interesting. Now, you may say that uh, in those days, the people never knew that all the emotions actually is emanates from the brain, not from the heart. So it, they must have gone wrong. But very interesting, even now modern science is struggling that how the heart is linked with the emotions. They don't know. But they say it is something which is true. There are so many cases when you get terribly angry, you are at rage, you have heart attack. When you are in extreme sorrow, someone has passed away, you get heart attack. So the emotion has something to do with the heart, though the science is not yet sure how, but it has to do. So Ridae Chitta Samvit, the more you give importance to, the, to your this heart center, you can control your emotions. Even in the modern psychology, they say, just to, what you say that by meditating on the heart, you become aware of the emotion, not on the brain. You may say that in brain something is going on, but when I have some emotional turmoil, it is felt in the heart. Don't run away from it. Don't run away from the emotion. Suppose I am angry, that how can I get control over my emotions? Focus on the heart, and then you know that what's your exact emotion is. You recognize the emotion, and then be focused on that. Any emotion, even in the modern psychology they speak of, just by focusing on that, not running away from it, you can develop a control over it. So don't run away from the problem, run into the problem. Go into the turmoil. So how, what, what actually it means? When you are angry. Suppose I had some fight in my, with, some, my, with my colleague in the office or there was some confrontation with the boss, whatever it may be. And I find that anger is still, is, is, is brewing in me when I have came back. And just to forget about the anger, I just turn on the TV and just to try to distract the mind and forget what has happened. And the next day when I go back, I behave with that person in such a way for which I repent. Because I feel that I lose my goodwill people start thinking that I have no control over my emotion. What has happened? That I actually have not taken care of that emotion. It was still there. It was there again when that moment came, it simply spurred off and I couldn't control it. How would I have controlled it? When the anger is there in the present language of this uh, modern psychology, they use the acronym called RAIN, R-A-I-N, RAIN. 
that don't run away from the emotion. Recognize, R stands for recognize. Recognize the emotion, that what it is, whether it is anger, whether it is sorrow, whatever it may be. And then A means accept, don't run away from it. Accept it, it's okay. It's okay to have it, don't run away. I now investigate the nature, that's very interesting. Not a single emotion, when you investigate its nature, you will find, can stand by itself. When I am angry, what I am doing constantly, I am remembering the past, the incident that has already happened. I am going to that past. In this moment, I am not supposed to have this emotion. The thing which has happened, has happened. Now I am supposed to relax. But what is happening, I am remembering. I am bringing the past. Not only that, I am anticipating all the things I have to say him in return. I'm anticipating tomorrow when I go, I will just speak him all such and such things. So you're anticipating. So what is happening? Your present moment is constant emotion is getting fed by the past and by the future. After investigating the nature, what you do, do without running away, face it and try to negate that at present, why should I be disturbed by the thing which has happened in the past? Let me be in the present. Let me be with the anger, but I won't allow to go back in the form of memory to what has happened, nor should I anticipate. Just let me stay with the anger. And you will find the emotion is evaporating. It's no more there. And that's how we have to take care of by being mindful of it. There's a wonderful incident in the life of Swami Vivekananda. When he was in Varanasi, before going to the West, he was in Varanasi. He was in Kashi and as a wandering monk, he went to the Durga temple and after having the darshan, after uh, prayer, just paying his oblations to the deity, he was coming back, he was returning from the Durga temple. The moment you come out of the Durga temple, the path is very narrow. On one side, there is the wall, the high wall is there, boundary wall. And on the other side is a huge reservoir. And the road is quite narrow. Now, everyone has to pass through that road. And Swami Vivekananda was passing through that road after coming out from the temple. Suddenly, he felt something is chasing behind him. And he looked, he found a pack of monkeys was almost on his heels. He got scared. He started running. The monkeys started chasing him faster. They were almost on his knees. Swami was almost panicking. And then he suddenly heard a voice from a distant, an old monk shouted at him, stop, face the brutes, stop, face the brutes. Hearing that Swami Vivekananda stopped, turned around. And he found a wonderful thing. The monkeys also stopped. They were each staring at each other. And then the monkey started receding. And Swami Vivekananda then told a very wonderful thing. I learned my lesson of life. Never run away from the problems, from your emotions, from your, from all the so-called your evil thoughts. Face them. Stop. Face the brutes. The moment you face them, they start falling off. So that's the way we can deal with the emotion. You will find even Ramakrishna is saying a very interesting thing. When his niece Akshay passed away, the day he passed away, Ramakrishna was sitting by his side. The moment he passed away, Ramakrishna was laughing. Why? He told, I saw, I palpably saw, it is not just imagination, I saw the soul leaving the body. So there is no death. 
And the next day, suddenly he found that his heart is as if he churned because of this sadness. After all, it's the blood relation. And very interesting, we find, oh, then he also gets affected. But the wonderful thing that he is describing it as if he was observing what's happening. That as being a human being, being a biological creature, certain emotions are bound to follow. Don't get identified. Be separate from it. That this is the way the body is supposed to behave. The mind is supposed to behave. When the Keith and Keen, someone you have lost. Don't get identified. Don't feel that you are the one who are uh, who is sad. Sadness is something is of the mind. I am observing it. It's of the chitta. So when we can do that, then we have control over the equation, these emotions. And the emotions where I can find those emotions in my heart. So now you will find this Riday Chitta Samvit, that with that, by concentrating on my heart, the center of my emotions, I can get control over my mind at any situation of life. Uh, there's a nice, this RAIN acronym reminds me of his incidents in the life of Shami Sharadananda, one of the direct disciples of Ramakrishna. A young novice asked Sharadananda, when he was a quite elderly monk, senior monk, he was the general secretary of the order. A young brahmachari came and asked, Sir, you are all blessed. Why? So your, so your mind is so pure, you never have bad thoughts. We always have to fight with the evil thoughts. What Sharadananda told was very interesting. He told, no, there is no difference. Even evil thoughts do arise in our mind. It's not that it never arises, But the, you know, there's a difference between you and me. And then he gave an example. Suppose you are in sitting in your room absorbed in some household course, some household work. And outside in one corner of the sky, a speck of cloud just has started building up. Layers after layers of clouds are building up. And then suddenly the strong wind starts blowing. There's a thunderstorm. And suddenly there's a huge downpour. And the rainwater starts flashing in. And then you become aware. What happens is suddenly the weather has changed. You go now to just close the window and you find it so difficult. Strong wind doesn't allow you. For me, that's your mind. For me, I was sitting, I observed. The clouds are developing. The sky is getting dark. The winds have started getting strong. As I've started, so I get sufficient time to take the necessary measures and get rid of the devastation that is going to follow from the thing which has already started. So the mind has its own way. In our life, when we have to face the various circumstances of life, the mind will have its own modules activated. We cannot sometimes avoid that. But the sign of purity is vigilance. How much vigilant you are. Whether you are getting identified or you are constantly vigilant. That speaks of the purity. You can easily get detached from it. So Hridaye Chitta Samvit. There are so many nice incidences that the price of purity is vigilance. That when Ramakrishna came from came back from Dakshineshwar, he used to come back from Dakshineshwar every year and spent few months in Kamarpukul. And you know that Holy Mother, they were that marriage was at a very tender age. So Holy Mother, she from Jairambati, after the marriage, she started staying with the parents. 
She was quite young. She was yet to stay with Ramakrishna. But when he used to come to Kamarpukur to spend few months, she used to come to Kamarpukur from Jairambati to spend those few months with him. And now as she was growing, she always used to have a long well. One day she was just brooming the courtyard and Ramakrishna was sitting in one of the corner of the courtyard. He was just having some tobacco, relaxing. And then suddenly as Holy Mother is, has reached the state of puberty, most probably she was expecting that she wants to be a biological mother as is quite obvious for all the marriage uh, is intended for that. But Ramakrishna had some different goal of life. He, though he was married, that samskara was there, but for him, he was uh, by heart a sannyasi. To bring that same eye, to bring Holy Mother also to that same idea. Now, in a very childful manner, in the jokingly, Ramakrishna started some, saying something. What? But what's the need of getting child? Is we are quite well the way we are leading life. See. Just to say that, to speak of the uh, transiency of the life, in those days, you know, the pandemics were very common. So there used to be cholera, there used to be malaria, all those things were something used to come almost every year. So Ramakrishna started saying, you have the first child and that day on the day of the rice giving ceremony, you adore yourself with all the ornaments, you dress yourself with the most expensive sari, and you have called the guests you are going to celebrate. And suddenly you find the child is sick. It has most probably developed cholera. In two days it dies. And then you start crying, wailing. And again, a second child is born. Most probably this is gone in malaria. So Ramakrishna was repeating that the child is born. And this time it goes, dies in cholera, this time in malaria. And from behind the well, while brooming the courtyard, very feebly, that young lady, that she has reached puberty. Son very feebly just told, will all of them die? Immediately Ramakrishna became very serious. What he told was, oh, it seems I have trampled on the tail of a poisonous snake. And that's what he told and Holy Mother ran inside. So why we are saying that see, it's not meant for all, but just you just see that they have a very high ideal of life. And where the purity lies, it lies in the vigilance. Ramakrishna immediately found that the moment she told, will all of them die? From that immediately he understood that somehow that lingering desire to be a biological mother is there. Otherwise, why should he ask, will all of them die? And that made Ramakrishna immediately feel that this is the thing which is not meant for me. And that's why he's shouting that, oh, I have trampled on the tail of a very venomous snake. So this actually speaks that to nip at the bud in the spiritual journey, that what we are giving this example is that when you're vigilant, if any emotion which you find is not something which you desire, we all may have our own benchmarks. Ramakrishna's benchmark may be quite high. We have our own benchmark, but we find certain desire, certain emotions we won't desire, but they do pester us. See, if we have to get rid of it, vigilance is the only way. Then only we can nip it at the bud. Otherwise, in no time, the layers of cloud at last will result in a huge downpour and I find I am drenched. So that's the idea behind the Sutra, Ridae Chitta Samvit. 
the mindfulness which comes when you are just constantly having samyama on the emotions which emanates from your heart. The 35th Sutra, as we told, is linked with that idea of Pratibha, that how that Pratibha Jnana happens is mentioned in the 35th Sutra. It's a very, these sutras are a bit technical, but once we try to understand the words, you'll find it's, uh, it's something speaking, which is quite commonsensical. What's that? Sattva Purusha Atyanta Asankirnayo Pratyaya Avishesha Bhoga Parārthatva Sartha Samyamat Purusha Jnana. So it's quite long. What is saying? Sattva Purushaya Avishesha Pratyaya Bhoga. It's very interesting. Sattva means the Buddhi Sattva and the Purusha. Purusha means the conscious principle. This experiencing of the pleasure and the pain, this happen, how it happens, how we experience the pleasure and pain, the moment the conscious principle comes in association with the buddhi. Avishesha, you can no more differentiate that. Though they are totally different in nature, but the moment they come in association, each of them takes the nature of the other. Just the way when you keep a red flower in the proximity of a prism, the prism appears to be red. It actually has not become red. Similarly, the conscious principle takes the tinge of the prakriti and it feels that the pleasure and pain, all this experience belongs to him. So the sattva, purusha, avishesha, all the pratyaya, all the feelings, pratyaya is a feeling. These words are very, these technical terms, if you are always not aware of, you will get confused. Vritti means the mental pulsations. Each and every moment we are having those vrittis. What is changing is not the vrittis. It is constantly there. Even in your sleep, it is there. What is changing is the contents of those vrittis. Those are the pratyaya. Those pratyayas are changing. And from where the pratyaya arises, the moment there is an identification of the conscious principle with the mind. What's the practice? That's atyanta asankirna. To constantly separate these two that I am not the experiences which are going on in the mind. I am the, the witness, I am not them. By constantly separating them, by constantly separating them, what happens as we mentioned, that you get more and more established in asmita. Ahankara is reducing. Ahankara is your association with all the mental modules. That is getting cut off. You're getting established in asmita. And then what happens? That results in the, the Purusha Jnana. These words are very important. You are yet to be established in your real self. All the modules you have got read off. But when you say, I am the conscious principle, who is saying it? It is the mind who is saying. So even you are, when you say, I am not the mind, who is saying it? It is the mind. So Purusha Jnana is not the ultimate realization. It is the notion that I am not the things with which I am identified. I am the pure conscious principle. But who is saying it? It is the mind. But when you have got established in that state, that itself is a big achievement because all the biases has fallen off. This Purusha Jnanam is not the ultimate realization. Ultimately, this Purusha, you have to go beyond that. But when you have established that, what results in what ensues has been spoken of in the 36th Sutra. Once you get 
uh, established in the pure asmita. What happens? Tat pratibha, which has been spoken of in the 33rd sutra, and you get pratibha, you get pratibha, you get pratibha, that's intuitive knowledge. Along with that, sravana, vedana, adarsha, aswada, varta, jayante. You develop supernatural powers, supernatural hearing, sravana, vedana, supernatural touch, adarsha, supernatural vision, aswada, supernatural taste, and varta, supernatural smell. So what this actually is, is it, is it really supernatural? Again, no. The moment you get established in the pure amnes, now you are no more down filtering what you are downloading from the cosmic mind. All the mental modules, mental modules are available to you. To give a common example, that we do not see at night, but there are instances that a spiritually advanced soul, even at night, can see the things. You may say, is it supernatural? You go to the zoo, there is a separate section for the nocturnal animals. And there you will find it is quite dark. And where the animals are kept, there is a red light. Why? Because actually what I am seeing as dark at night is not at all dark. At night when the sun sets, because of the diffraction, the infrared light is still there. But our eyes doesn't have the capacity to see infrared. It cannot see ultraviolet the strong light which even which causes the skin cancer the heat which we feel is because of the ultraviolet light which we don't see and the infrared that's a very low frequency that also we cannot see but there are animals whose mind who has those mental modules with which you can see even at night so the, so if now because you are getting established in asmita all the biases has fallen off all the mental modules are available to you. It can find expression through your life that night vision is possible. So supernatural vision is possible. In the pigeons, you know, very interesting. For the pigeons, the world is extremely noisy. Now from here sitting here in Ashrama, though the ocean is not far off, I cannot hear the rumbling of the waves. The pigeons can hear. They can hear infra, this, uh, what you say, the infrasound, infrasonic sounds, that as a human being, we can, we can hear from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz, but there are animals who can hear below 20 hertz. The pigeons can hear. So you, when you get more and more established in the pure amnes, you're not identifying only with the things with which the human life is uh, linked. That a common example we give that that there are so many desires in us that most probably in some other birth, we were a cattle. We were some grazing animal. And that time the grass was something which was our uh, only food. On that, we used to thrive. We liked it. So if all those, what you say, these uh, uh, likings are there in my mind, if it is not lost as a human being, why seeing the grass, I don't salive it. I am supposed to salive it. So here Yoga Sutra says, no, the moment you are born as a human, there are so many vasanas which are not suitable for the human birth. They remain hidden. They are there. Again, if I have to take birth in some animal body, they will again find expression. Just the example we give so many times. Suppose 
as a student, I'm good in all the subjects. I'm interested in all the subjects. I get good grades in all the subjects. And that leads me to get admitted in some engineering college or some medical college. Now, though I have interest in all the subjects, now they get shadowed. The moment I am there, my only liking for the medical science, for biological science, that is prominent. Others are there. They may find expression. When I'm an established doctor, I have sufficient leisure in my later life. Most probably as a student, I had love for music. That may come back, but they're hidden. Similarly, as a human being, so many modules are hidden. But when through spiritual practice, you are getting rid of ahankar and getting established in asmita, all those concerns and biases are falling off. The filtering factors is falling off. There's only one mind, the mahat cosmic mind of which our minds are a part. Now nothing is filtered off. We can download anything. And you can, of course, have all those supernatural hearing, which is common to some other animal. Supernatural touch, supernatural smell, supernatural taste, all those things that dogs you will find can hear supersonic sounds. For the dogs, they use it, that the alarms are used. You know, the, there are so many movies on burglary that they use uh, there's some sound for the dogs to do certain action that, as per that sound, that there's an ultrasonic sound. No one hears, they hear and carry out the order after hearing that. So they can hear ultrasonic sound. They can have it. There, there's, they are used for all detecting purpose because of their super sensory smell. So those are the modules which are there in the mind. The moment I am a human being, those gets filtered off. That's why there's a wonderful sutra we will study in the fourth chapter, the last chapter, the third sutra. What's that? That when we are doing all the endeavors and spiritual journey, we are not gathering some supernatural powers. We are actually removing the obstacles. And natural, then what happens? All the powers are already in nature. They just flow in. And they give the example of a farmer bringing water to his field. How are you being filled? There's a nearby river, but there's a dam. And to bring, to irrigate his field, what he does, he just makes a small hole in the dam. And the water just flows into his field. That He doesn't have to bring it. No effort is required. He just have to remove the obstruction. So all our sadhanas, the nature has infinite possibilities. There are so many types of mental modules. There's infinite possibilities are there. Our conditioning is just the dam. You remove that conditioning, it just flows in. It just flows in. And that's what, how this, you get the supernatural sight, supernatural smell, all those things comes naturally. But again, these are just the warning that don't think it as an achievement. Even if it comes, know it, that you're progressing in spiritual journey, but these are not to be given importance. Otherwise you get stuck up there. You forget your ultimate spiritual goal. And Pratibha, that intuitive knowledge, how it comes, we already studied in the 33rd Sutra, we did not repeat it, that more the amnes, the same reason, the more you get established in that pure amnes, without his as association with all the projections, the more the mind gets all encompassing and all the past knowledge in a flash come to your mind at a time and all the laws of cause and effect, that becomes something palpably visible. Seeing anything, you can just foretell what's going to happen. So that's how the Pratibha, as well as the supernatural perceptions, 
happens to a person who gets more and more detached from the immediate attachments of life and gets pure established at pure amnes, which also is not the ultimate state. We should remind why still you are holding on to your mind. When you say I am not the mind, it is the mind which is saying I am not the mind. So still it is the mind. You have to go beyond the mind. So that's why the today's class we will end up with the 37 sutra that after saying all those things to warn us that they are not something to be uh, desired. They're just the milestone. What they're saying? Te samadhau upasargaha vyutthane siddhaya. They are obstacles to samadhi, ultimate samadhi, where you have to go beyond the mind and, and which finds expressions as powers in vyutthana. You have gone to that state, you come back, you don't try to progress. Vyutthana means to come back, again to come back. In the worldly state, they find expression as siddhis. So here is the warning that they are an obstacle to the samadhi. When it comes, know it for certain that you're progressing that much. Don't try to have some mercenary activity, some business with all those supernatural powers. That's in this world, we find that there are so many adorned saints and sages. Just we, our benchmark is that some supernatural power, we start adoring. Most probably we have both the guru as well as the shishya, both has got sidetracked. The moment they get lured by that. That's why Sri Ramakrishna again and again has warned us of the Siddhi. So Siddhis used to say Pratishtha used to, in our, one of the scriptures, they say Shukari Vishta. Just reject it as a filth. Never try to even give attention towards it. So that's what the warning, the warning, the sutra indicates that never get lured by them. Know them to be the obstacles of Samadhi if you get lured. And it is just say particular Siddhi, but it is not the ultimate goal. So with this, we stop our discussion. We will continue with the succeeding sutras of Vibhutipada again in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskars.